Is It Transphobic? will be addressing issues of transphobia and transmisogyny. We may also address issues of racism, classism, ableism, and various other intersectional issues in this podcast. So this is a trigger warning. The panelists on Is It Transphobic? will also use strong language. So listener discretion is advised. Space very well may be the final frontier. You may get your Earl Grey tea hot. And data may be fully functional and anatomically correct. But today we're asking, is Star Trek The Next Generation transphobic? Today, I'm being joined by my good friend. Kelsey Jefferson Barrett. Hi, guys. And your pronouns, Kelsey? My pronouns are they. Yes. Uh, And as always, my name is Ashley Lauren Rogers. I use she, her pronouns. Uh, so this was fun because I, so growing up for me, I never liked Star Trek. <laughs> this has always been kind of a chore. It's, I don't know if it just felt too cerebral for me and I just wanted like stupid Mortal Kombat stuff. But for me, so this was like, uh, it wasn't a chore to sit down and watch it now. It was actually very enjoyable, but it was so different. Now you, yeah, because <laughs> you, you recommended uh, at least one of these episodes, right? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Um... I'm mostly an original series person. Uh, I discovered it as a teenager when they were doing reruns on sci-fi. So it was sort of like, oh, what surprise, Space Cowboys, you know, before I was familiar with any of the other Space Cowboys, the original Space Cowboys. Uh, I was less familiar with Next Gen. I actually saw an episode my uncle was watching when I was really little and Worf was doing some Klingon rage thing. I have no idea what episode it was, but I was like, that's terrifying and ran away. Which, of course, now, as you say, this is the really cerebral calmer Star Trek in a lot of respects. So I, um, I've been filling in the holes in my knowledge. I've seen bits here and there, but um, 50 an- 50th anniversary just happened and mm-hmm. I'm sort of going back, which is how I stumbled across thinking about this a little differently as an adult person. Mm. Now, and especially because the, the original series and then this being its successor, uh, successor, yeah the, yeah, the one that followed it up, uh, they, cause this was another one where Gene Roddenberry was still alive, correct? Yes. When, yeah, and so- because of that, there's definitely a lot of that same uh, philosophy and ethos that went into it, the idea of this uh, federation being started as a means of saying, like, there's peace in the world now because, this, like, we're trying to create peace. I don't know where I'm going with that. No, it's very true, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and Next Gen takes that much farther than the original series does. Uh, they stick to the prime directive, the don't interfere with alien cultures and their development. You know, Picard is very concerned with his rights and duties as a Starfleet officer, where, you know, Kirk might say prime directive this, prime directive that, but he's given the apple to the, you know, the different alien races. He's doing whatever he has to do, where we actually do see Picard put his own morals aside in order to obey the prime directive. You also see a lot more of that sort of conversation that they have where, in our past, we used to be racist. In our past, we used to be misogynist, but we're not like that anymore. And we're constantly confused about the aliens that we meet who are racist or sexist or whatever it is, which is an interesting thing in itself to suggest that like, humanity has just suddenly forgotten what it means, which doesn't actually doesn't make a lot of sense to me personally, but that's definitely the idea that they're going for in in next gen. Mm. That we are really on an equal footing, and we've we've purged a lot of those 
impulses from us. And especially I, I thought what was most interesting was as people who are from the future and saying that as like we are from the year 2016 and this was written in the 90s. Yes. Taking <laughs> a look confusing. at... Oh man, like taking a look at what they thought was going to happen and their idea of, particularly with the two episodes that we watched today, because there's a lot of other episodes that we can certainly tackle in later episodes uh, of this podcast, but the episodes that we're tackling today are season four, episode 23, known as The Host, and season five, episode 17, The Outsider. Uh, and so you initially recommended The Host... As... Oh, The Outsider. Oh, you recommend The Outsider? Oh, yes. Okay. Yep. I had actually never seen The Host, The Outsider, mm -hmm. I was familiar with. I'd mm -hmm. been shown it some time ago. Mm. So what uh, what was it when you had seen The Outsider? What said to you, this is perfect for this podcast? Well, it, it does, first of all, talk about uh, engaging with an alien race that has a very different idea of gender than we do. Um, when it came out, of course, it was not well received by the LGBT community. What the showrunners were trying to do was make some kind of uh, alien representation to tackle the idea of homosexuality. And so their idea was to create a race instead that is a genderless race, which I'm not sure what they mean by genderless or mm. a single gender race perhaps, but they say genderless. Um, and what happens when members of that society develop a sense of gender and to make that the prejudice that they experience parallel prejudice that was being experienced specifically by gay people. They did say this is about being gay, mm. but they chose gender as a different vehicle, which creates a very interesting problem when you try to tackle this episode. Well, and particularly uh, just that idea that we in the community are constantly dealing with that idea of people not being able to unlock the differences between uh, biology, gender, and uh, sexual orientation. Yes. And so because of that, there was a lot of that conflated in this, but at the same time, there was a lot of very interesting... Uh, there was a lot of meat to this episode that I really kind of like hung on to, like especially I that agree. idea you were talking that uh, you had brought up of the uh, genderless society versus because this has always been my problem. And I actually made a note in here and I know we're starting backwards, but I don't mind doing that. That's fine. With me. Uh, let's see. Yeah, let's let's delve deeper into the outsider then for right now. Uh, one of the ideas in it, as you stated, was the idea of this genderless society and there is a very big parallel that they draw to the idea of we eliminated gender because it was very much a decision in this. That, yes. And I, as I understood the episode, I couldn't quite decide if they meant they evolved naturally to this conclusion or they made a deliberate choice to use science. Hmm. They do say we used to be gendered, and by that they mean binarily gendered, male and female, and we evolved past it, and we view it as somehow less evolved, more primitive. Hmm. And they have, because uh, they did explain a little bit about how reproduction works in their society, there's a husk. A husk! Which, <laughs> which, which immediately all I could think of was just like corn as this is happening, and I know that <laughs> other things have husks than corn. Yeah, I was, I was picturing like, maybe like, an empty caterpillar shell or something. Yeah. Like some kind of, you know, 
grown in a lab maybe situation or some organic version of that perhaps again depending on whether this is a controlled gender or an evolved gender mm. uh but yeah they inseminate both partners inseminate a husk whatever that means <laughs> <laughs> however that happens um but yeah it, it just felt very i don't know i always have a problem with or at the very least i always find a lot of tension in fictional stories that have a society where they have eliminated gender in some way, as opposed to, say, embracing gender fluidity. Yes. And Star Trek in general, and I certainly think this is true of Next Gen, perhaps most of all, they take a very sterile approach. Uh, you see this, you know, this society, the Starfleet, the Federation, and Earth, and everything, and they have, they have a very binary gender system, which is its own kind of thing that we will probably come back to. But, you know, it's very, everybody's equal, but we're not really going to talk about differences too much. We're all, and again, it applies to race as well. It applies a little bit to disability, although not quite the same way. But again, like, you know, they talk about, you know, Jordy is blind and he has, you know, a device that allows him to see. Oh, and by the way, he's constantly in pain, but we're only going to use that as a plot device. The rest of the time, he's functionally, you know, as far as his function within the storylines, exactly the same, you know, except when the visor is useful to see things that other people can't. Um, and in the same way, Star Trek does non-gendered aliens. You see it in the very first episode of the of original series, In the Cage. Mm. Uh, very similarly... You see the Binars in season one, who are the, they're sort of like, a, they're paired off aliens and they're connected to their computer and they work through the computer. Um, all of which, interestingly, just like the, uh, the characters in this episode, are played by female actresses. I was going to bring that up, actually. And yeah. given similar, even the, sh the not so much with the, uh, in this episode, but the other two, you know, they give them the sort of like larger head sort of to indicate, you know, the old school alien intelligence kind of things. But they usually tend to be small. So they are played by, I assume that's why they play them by female actresses. And I think they, um, they go for sort of like a uniformity. So they like try mm. to get them all around the same build and that sort of thing, which may be why they choose, you know, just women to do it and they're always petite and well and I, I feel like there's something and I don't know if it's a Hollywood thing specifically but I feel like there is this uh, visual film style of understanding when they do any kind of androgyny that it's usually female because there's almost this idea that if it's a man we'll be able to tell right and, which and... is weird to me hmm. I mean I think also and I believe it was actually brought up in some interview about the outsider when talking about having um a, a a woman play you know Riker's love interest who is supposed to be this genderless person hmm. in retrospect uh Jonathan Frakes I know and possibly someone else said it should have been a, a male actor hmm. in this part but we didn't think we could get away with it basically hmm. And I think, I think that it's weird because on the one hand, our society tends to view masculinity as more androgynous than femininity. Hmm. When you think of an androgynous person, you think of sort of, you know, not, you're not, they're not going to have hips and boobs. They're going to be sort of long and lean and pretty, but in a sort of sharp way. It's, it's kind of like what you see. Um, 
But on the other hand, again, if we can tell, we're mm. going, oh, wait, this is different. Is, is Riker going to kiss a dude? Mm. You know, we don't, we don't let go of that. And I consider myself to be someone who, you know, is very open-minded about, you know, not pegging people's gender. But I'll be honest, the first time I see any time an alien in makeup, I'm like, is that a guy or a <laughs> female actress? Like, I always mm. want to know because I'm wondering about their choices. And it's just, mm. I think, somehow built into us to look for that. Well, and I, I actually initially praised the episode immediately. Like, I had so many up and down moments with whether I was praising or not with this episode yes. like specifically i saw the uh this group of aliens and one of them was talking and i was like oh i think that's a dude oh okay and it was just like oh no that's like so it did they did a great job of mm. making me question but they were all female actors yes uh but the other thing i really appreciated and it didn't and it was one of those things i saw as a negative until the near the ending when this character, the one that was Riker's love interest, who I can't remember the name of offhand. Uh, Soren. Soren, yeah. Yes. When Soren acted very, for lack of a better term, acted very feminine. And because yes. Soren actually did express that they were, they felt more female, they felt like they are actually of a binary as opposed to androgyny that it made more sense that, and it felt really good from a directing standpoint as far as what they were given, the idea of making the, the other ones like, no, they're very uh, androgynous. They're very, they're trying not to yes. tip one way or another. And you actually do see throughout the episode as Soren becomes closer to Riker and starts to open up and eventually confesses this this truth that she has been carrying mm -hmm. The, the body language changed, the vocal inflection becomes a little more uh, fluid, mm. and there is sort of a, like, a sinking into herself in a, in a feminine, you know, traditionally feminine manner that then you definitely goes back to, like, a blank slate when performing for her fellow, you know, uh, uh, I forgot the name of them. I think it begins with a J. Terrible Trekkies. Okay. We are. We're going to get yelled at. We're in trouble. We're going to get eviscerated on the internet. We're Janai. Yeah. Janai, yeah. Okay. Janai. Okay. It was like a yeah. je, I think. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was like a J apostrophe because I was yes. watching with the, uh, yes. with the captions. Yeah, yeah. There's Janai. <laughs> uh, there, were, there were a lot of moments that were very, like, the thing that I actually really liked about this episode, and a lot of it was very, like, hitting you in the face with what they're actually talking about but not in a way that felt, it was preachy, but it didn't feel like that, what, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it was that kind of like, it didn't feel like it was too much, but it felt like it was more than subtle. Yes, it was definitely more than subtle, yeah. for sure. This was not one of those, I mean, this is, you know, by the time Soren gives her speech at the end of the episode, mm. you you know what they're talking about here. Mm. There is not a lot of ambiguity. They really clearly wanted this message to come across. Mm. Um, and I, I like that. You know, you can't always be subtle. You can't always be, mm. well, these aliens are so different that you're going to blink and miss, you know, mm -hmm. the analogy we're trying to make. Well, and so many, and I think one of the problems that I run into, and I was uh, talking with this with a group of people a little while ago, is the idea of writing particularly alien races when you're talking about gender, when you're talking about sexuality, unless you specifically say 
this is what we're saying. There's this weird sort of like space where people can say no because they're aliens. No, they're not humans. So no. Right. And then like you and then there, it's just such a fine line between saying like, no, we actually have to tell you what we're talking about versus letting the audience understand and feel for this character. Absolutely. And I think in in anything that is episodic, like a television show, Mm. uh, you really ought to do both. You don't always want to hit people over the head. It's not intelligent. It's boring. Uh, It will alienate people, certainly. There is is something to the the subtle message sinking through to people who might be more resistant to it because Mm. they can say, oh, well, no, they're not. It's okay. They're not saying that about me being prejudiced or they're not saying about the people around me or humans being this thing that I don't like. They're talking about aliens. So now I can sort of consider it from a distance and and be less threatened. Mm. I, I do think there's a place for both. And occasionally you do. You just want people to come out and say it. Hey, stop being prejudiced or, or whatever. Like, let's actually mm. face what we're talking about. Um, so so I, I admired that in this episode, for sure, that they yeah. they didn't mm. want to pull their punches. I mean, they kind of did in certain ways, but... There, there were definitely a lot of ways <laughs> that they probably could have gone a little further, but I think, I don't know, like, even that speech at the end that, uh, that Soren gave, was so, like, it was so on the head, but man, that was beautiful. Well, and well delivered. Yes. The actress, and I didn't look up her name because I'm a bad person, but she <laughs> was really good. And she did yeah. justice to that character. I think a lot of my complaints aside, she took that material and she did a great job with it. Mm. And I, I really enjoyed that. And that speech was really beautiful. I so I want to point out one thing, and this is true amongst this episode as well as the next episode, as well as the Star Trek Next Gen that I've seen. Why does Riker have a death wish? <laughs> like he just constantly—it's just like I feel like there's a cut scene from every episode where it's just like I'm gonna do this thing that'll probably kill me. It's like, okay, Riker. It's like you, you could have said no, <laughs> or like they're, something. But uh, they're trying but, to get, I think, mm-hmm. a bit of the Captain Kirk back. Because Picard is a very different captain, and he has, you know, his intelligent captainly qualities, the way he thinks outside of the box, which is sort of reminiscent of Kirk, but he doesn't charge down to the planet all the time. Mm. He doesn't fall head over heels for every lady who walks by, and I kind of feel like they're trying to get that action bit back with Riker, because he Mm. definitely is the first one to be like, I'm just going to throw myself into this situation, I don't know. And it is actually kind of refreshing knowing that from the number one, as opposed to the captain, because number one has the captain that he's got to constantly, <laughs> it gives him a little bit more like, mm, should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? And I, oh, was it this one? Yeah, it was this one where he actually says to Picard, like, we got to do something. And Picard very obviously is like, I'm telling you that you are going to risk everything should this happen. And if you're asking me to sanction it, I can't sanction it. Yes. Which is, I mean, that's, that's a thing I love about Picard. Like Picard is, is amazing that way. He's, he has that subtlety. He really is just as emotional and, and close to his crew, but he handles it in a different way. Yeah. In a very sort of elegant manner, I guess. Um, that was a good scene, that part. Yeah. No, that, there, there were so many good scenes in this episode. <laughs> really. Like, and I love, so the, the other two bit part that I loved was like the first bit was Worf at the poker game, which A, I loved that the poker game was mostly female dominated. I didn't realize right. that. But B, that like Worf just had that whole moment of like, oh, the Jedi, 
I don't understand them. Or what? Well, hold on, I wrote it down. Oh, oh, yes. They bother me. That was they, they bother me. And they're me. like, Worf, why? And he's like, they just do. And I was yeah. like, man, if I had a nickel for every time somebody said that about an LGBT issue, it just mm-hmm. does, okay? Don't ask me to justify it because then I'll have to think about that. It's like, ugh, no, I just don't like it, okay? No, I, just, I don't want to think of If I'm yeah. thinking about it, I'm thinking about it, dang it. Yeah. yeah but uh, then he, he is the one that goes down with Riker to try and save Soren. And that's kind of awesome, too. Mm. Um, you know, they definitely seem like they're trying to use Worf as, well, because he's a Klingon and he has these different values and these different emotions, we can kind of use him to engage with this conversation about, you know, people who are resistant to homosexuality or transness or whatever they're trying to talk about. Mm. And we can put it down to this cultural divide and we don't have to have Crusher or, you know, one of the other humans who are supposed to be beyond this mm. say these things. You can kind of, like, make the excuse. But then, of course, Worf is a very loyal friend. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to be, oh, I'm kind of uncomfortable with genderlessness, so you're on your own, Riker. Like, that, mm. he might have a little bit of prejudice, but that's not his driving force, and it never will be. And that is almost, I think, a better story than, well, no one has any prejudices anymore. Mm. The idea that, well, yeah, still we still have prejudices. Sometimes you're uncomfortable by a weird alien thing, but you get over it because it's not going to dominate your life just because you might be a little squicked or whatever. Mm. Now, there are a couple of other lines that I wrote down that I was just really... Either I had a issue that I completely got over or I just loved. Like, what was... Uh, let's see. I absolutely loved this thing that uh, Soren said, which was, just because we don't have gender doesn't mean we don't have conflicts. Yes. I love that line. Like, that is such a good, like, yeah, like, gender. And the idea of, uh, I look at that as especially the idea of, like, people embracing gender fluidity or people understanding gender issues and seeing, like, opening them up from being just like, oh, men have this, women have that. It's like, no, gender does not, like, it's not going to stop issues from happening. Right. Doesn't she actually say that in response to Riker? Doesn't he literally say the battle of the sexes? Yeah. And it's like Mm -hmm. weird, antiquated thing for someone of, in that time period to say, you know, and that's a great commentary. You know, they're mm. supposed to be all evolved and stuff, but Soren's the one going, you're, you're blaming your, your disagreements on being a different gender than the person you're talking to. That doesn't make sense, mm. which I think is pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the other one, uh, Oh, like um, very early in the episode, uh, Soren is talking to Riker and she says, we use a pronoun that is neither male nor female, and there's no direct translation. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately, I just, I yelled, I actually yelled at the screen, they! They! <laughs> but... Come on! <laughs> well, and, yeah. and that's so interesting, because I think that kind of touches on the biggest flaw in this episode, which is they clearly weren't thinking about gender or what gender means at all. Mm. And when they try to have discussions both when Soren talks to Riker and then again when she talks to uh, Dr. Crusher, you can't get a straight answer out of either of them. They're like, she's kind of like, okay, so what makes them different? And they go, oh, well, I don't know. Um, But they are different, though. And she's like, well, women wear makeup. And they're like, 
Well, yeah, but not all women. So that's not really a good indicator. And you can't, like, the show doesn't want to talk about gender. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah. like, in that, like, as you hmm. say, like, they. Oh, that was easy. But it, <laughs> it, it, I don't feel like the writers thought that through. They said, mm. oh, well, of course you would have a pronoun if you mm. had this single gender or whatever. But we don't have that. So we don't have a pronoun for it. Mm. And they didn't have the internet, so they didn't have Tumblr, so, <laughs> so they didn't the know. myriad of <laughs> non-binary pronouns that they could mm. be using. But you know, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what's the other one? Um, Commander, tell me about your sexual organs. <laughs> <laughs> that line stole the episode. It was just like, I'm in. I love this episode, yeah. especially just how uncomfortable he got, and it's just like. Yeah, oh, do you not talk about that? It's like, yeah. right. And then, of course, you know, he kind of has to because, mm. you know, they're supposed to be evolved enough that they're not, like, weirded out by saying the word penis. So he's like, okay, well, I can be, you know, clinical about this. But he, it really is funny. <laughs> and Jonathan breaks face. Like, he gives mm. a really good take. Where he's just like, what do I do? I also thought it was cool that when, she, when Soren was telling the story about her... Um, male the classmate who identified closer to male and started expressing that they are male that she was using male pronouns for him yes which was a very subtle thing and i realized that it's because partially probably because the writers were like well we don't have a direct pronoun that we can use for these folks and this person feels like they're male so they're male and it's just like that's oddly affirming yeah, I mean, because of this sort of analogy that, that the writers are trying to teach us something about accepting people, about these differences not being bad, you have to be affirming of that. Like, and again, like I, I have a lot of uh, problems with the way they understand gender in this, hmm. but they are clearly trying to say, like, we need to accept people and, you know, that person says they're male, they're male. You know, and they're they're doing it with their own assumptions of a gender binary. But, you know, they're also saying this is a person who's experiencing prejudice. We hear about the way that he's tormented by his classmates, the way that he's eventually dragged off for reconditioning uh, and all mm. this horrible stuff that is, I mean, it's not so much an analogy as exactly what happens, mm. um, you know, to, to queer people in our own culture, which are trying to talk about. So, you know that affirmation and consideration of that person is the most important thing to address when writing an episode like this. Hmm. And now you talked a little bit about, uh, particularly with the, the way that the episode ends, uh, we talked a little bit about this reconditioning and uh, this, I think they, I think they actually use the word camp. Um, I'm, it, do they? I, it's, uh, I don't remember. I they do use cure. Cure, yeah. Cure a lot. That was the one, yeah. And that was very clearly, like like I say, when they're starting to beat the audience over the head with the, like, yep, all right, this is the point of this. This is what we're talking yeah. about. That was definitely one of the moments that I said to myself, like, yep, all right, I know exactly what you're talking about now. Yeah, the, the speech mm -hmm. that the judge gives after they you know, mm. decide that Soren's going to go off and get this treatment is, like, mm -hmm. these people are sick. They want to be cured by us. Afterwards, they tell us how grateful they are. And you're just like, oh my gosh. Mm. Wow, they, they really went there. 
Yeah, so when they uh, take Soren into this conversion therapy camp, um, it's very much uh, hitting the audience over the head with the obvious, like, what this episode is about stick. Uh, but it's also interesting because they don't, I don't know of a lot of shows that have tackled the conversion therapy camp and done it in a way that was like this. It's usually done as a joke. I've seen it on South Park. I've seen it on Futurama. Uh, and they're usually jokes in some way. And so this, to see it happen, to see Soren in this camp and to have Riker try and save her, only to have her essentially say, no, I need to be here. I need to... Oh, just right. freaking heartbreaking. Uh, really, really heartbreaking, for sure. So I, I'm curious, because I... I did not like the ending. And it's not because I wanted it to end happily and they steal Soren away and Soren is living happily. I don't necessarily know that I needed that. But at the same time, I feel almost like because they ended it on Riker, and I realized that that's the, the uh, mechanism of the show, like they've always got to have mm -hmm. it on, someone in the starship, in the on the bridge, essentially ending it all. Uh, that's what they had to do. I just kind of wish that they had given us even just a visual nod that Soren didn't actually want to be there. Like she's staring up into the sky looking for Riker. Huh. Something. Yeah, they, well, I mean, that's true. And, of course, you know, we're dealing with this sort of, you know, made-up scenario with alien technology. We don't know. Did it work? Is she lying? Uh, we can't really make that judgment. And it does tag around to become about Riker's feelings by the end, which is actually something um, that we'll see as well in the next episode that we talk about mm. in The Host, where this this need to center the emotional journey on a crew member is good sometimes, but I think actually messes up their story sometimes. And I think your point on that is, is exactly right. At the end of the day, what are we sad about? We're sad that this person that Riker loves was taken away from him. Mm. And we, we kind of stopped thinking about the actual tragedy, which is what happens to Soren. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I would have loved that idea. Uh, but, of course, that raises more questions. Then you mm. have to start saying, okay, well, the, if, if it's true that the, the, the conversion therapy didn't work or didn't work entirely and she wishes that she could go, then why didn't she? And, and this, is, this is a button. Mm. 45 minutes, we closed the story, and, you know, we didn't decide to cast a new member of the crew for all time, so mm. she has to stay for some reason. Right. Uh, so which I think is... Mm is the other problem. And they don't do long tag scenes with Star Trek either. They're very short. It's mm. like, so he comes back on the bridge, Picard's like, you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. And then they go. It's, they, don't, mm. they don't really stop and talk about their message very much, which I think sometimes can, can help stories like this. I, no, I agree with that. Like, I think that that particularly can be a blessing and a curse. Like, I would say that looking at just talking about the the style that star trek next gen uses which is very here's the thing let's talk about the thing all right we're done talking about the thing now let's move on to something else <laughs> yeah. can be very cold if it's written in, incorrectly and poorly and immediately can just feel like cheap but the way they do it in this is really well done i just kind of wish that like and it doesn't necessarily have to answer all questions so much as 
open up like cuz i think i think soren could stay at the camp cuz again they're not necessarily bringing on new crew members or anything like that right. but I, I think she could stay at the camp but i i wanted something to tell me the camp was not was not where soren should be cuz i feel like that's where they were going with this was that soren is kind of playing what Soren has to, but there's something inside that says, no, the conversion therapy camps aren't actually working. Which is, of course, Mm -hmm. true in, you know, Mm -hmm. our real world. Mm. The conversion conversion doesn't actually change who you are. It just messes with your psyche and confuses you. So, therefore, to have a, a different sort of ending where, as far as we know, it worked and they really did change her brain and she doesn't feel that she has a gender anymore... Is it, you're right, like that is a different message. I hadn't really thought about it in those terms, but that makes sense. Yeah, no, I that makes sense. I yeah. think that you're like, right about I, that. I feel, yeah, because I feel like it's not, it wasn't bad the way that they ended it. At the same time, it's just like it really could have drove it home a little bit better. Right, it, just, just like just a shot of her small. like looking sad, like not even that she necessarily wanted to leave, but just a suggestion that yeah. that something is not perfect. Yeah, <laughs> all right, so. When we take on episodes in this podcast, what we do is we'll look at the episode, then we're going to say whether we enjoyed it on a scale of 1 to 10, and if it's transphobic. We can do that scale of 1 to 10 or just a yes or no. So, Kelsey, how much did you enjoy this episode, scale of 1 to 10? Uh, I found it very interesting to watch, and as I said, I love the actress who plays Soren. I think she was very talented, so I'm going to give it a 8. I'm pretty much on the same same level. I give it about a seven or an eight because I really like the way that they used everybody. I just that button at the end really could have been a lot better. Um, so, yeah. so it's up there. But ah, okay. So now transphobic. Okay, so I, <laughs> I watched the episode and I thought about this a lot because I knew mm-hmm. you were gonna ask me yes. like, either rate it or yes or no, mm-hmm. and and my non-binary answer has to be a little more complicated than that. I find it hard to say yes, it's transphobic because it's not intended to talk about gender. Mm. I think if anything, it's its perspective is so outside of addressing gender. I mean, we have this super binary, you know, future culture. We have, they're not talking about gender. They're using this weird, strangely gendered society as analogy to talk about homosexuality. So I almost feel like it's not transphobic so much as it is so privileged. It never occurred to them that transness is a thing. And like, how in the future can Riker say, I've never met someone who wasn't a man or a woman before? Hmm. So it's, I don't know if that qualifies as being transphobic or just blinders on to a ridiculous degree. Hmm. No, I tend to agree with that point also, just because at the time, because I'm it, like, I refuse to say something like, oh, trans didn't exist. Obviously, the idea of trans issues, non binary issues has existed for a very long time, but the media wasn't really talking about it a lot outside of, say, Jerry Springer. Uh, and so for 
it to touch for the show to be held up to standards. Yeah, definitely could have done better. Yeah, they definitely could have called some folks and maybe gotten some opinions from even just a, an anthropologist at a at some sort of college somewhere. Right. Like they <laughs> they could have they could have yeah. like there's so many easy solutions that don't even involve unfortunately don't even involve calling a trans person uh, or a non-binary person. But <laughs> yeah. it is something that. I, I don't feel good saying, yes, it's transphobic, but yeah, it could have been better. Right. Could have been better. It's yeah. binary centric. It's mm-hmm. conflation of mm-hmm. sexuality and gender. I think that's yeah. the biggest sin yeah. of this episode is that, I mean, the way they treat it, it's like Soren's mm-hmm. like, well, I'm a woman, so I have secret relationships with the people who identify as men okay, and, like, I'm attracted to Riker because he's a man, which is fine, like, that's not bad, but they're definitely saying, because she is a woman, she likes men. And there's actually, I read, there is a cut, two cut lines of dialogue. Mm. Um, at the end, when Riker is is is, is arguing with the, the judge about um, this, this decision they've made about, like, Soren's gender is not okay, we have to fix it, whatever. Mm. And this is a more evolved way of being. And Riker actually says, then how is it that Soren has no choice about her sexuality? And they cut the line. Wow. But that was an actual line that was in it. Mm. So you can see how much they were treating these things as the same thing. And perhaps mm. they cut it because they realized that. I don't know. I didn't find why mm. it was cut. Because um, it could have also been, especially the same reason why they didn't, cast a man why like Mm -hmm. it might have been or they might have just realized we are hitting people over the head with this maybe we got to make sure we've got to maybe there are some places we can tone it back a bit possibly possibly but i mean i just for Mm -hmm. me and again i don't know that that's transphobic but it's certainly Mm -hmm. binary centric it's certainly unaware of any kind of issues of gender at all Mm -hmm. and since they additionally don't really address actual homosexuality much within Star Trek because they felt they couldn't or maybe they really couldn't I don't know mm. but you know it, it sort of it messes up the episode I think that yeah I guess that's that's the big scene uh, sin for me and unfortunately it sets the episode up to sort of fail before it starts mm. but I still enjoyed it and I still liked what they were trying to say and I loved Soren's speech so yeah I don't I don't even really know how to answer the question Fair. So I'm going to throw a quick curveball at you then. Would you recommend this episode to someone who maybe has never seen Star Trek Next Gen? No, I don't think I would. Okay. I am very, uh, very character driven person. uh, I feel like my initial, to introduce it to someone who had never seen it before, I would want to go with something that, you know, was a little more safely on the personal. I like, I would start with some episodes maybe about Data's, you know, trying to understand humanity, um, and something like that, where I feel like, I feel like if you know the show, this reads better. I feel like if you didn't know the show, mm. you'd just be like, what? Especially today. Mm. Like, what are they talking about gender and sexuality? And like, I feel like all those, those things that stopped mm. me 
knowing the show were, were less of a problem that they mm. might be for, for starting off. So it wouldn't be necessarily my first recommendation. So this is cool if you're kind of uh, binging it, you've been, you've started from the beginning, you're moving through it, and it's not necessarily going to, it might give you a little bit of a hiccup because you're like, all right, I'm thinking about this, but it won't necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily a good starting point. Yeah, cool. I think so. Okay. So is there anything else you want to say about the episode before we move on to the host? Uh, no, I think we covered pretty much. Awesome. All right, so Kelsey, uh, are you plugging anything? Is there a place you want people to look for you on the internet? Uh, uh, same thing. Uh, I always can be found on uh, Tor.com. I do uh, book reviews, movie reviews, op-ed pieces for them, so you can find me there, Kelsey Jefferson Barrett. Awesome. And uh, you can find me on the internet at AshleyLaurenRogers.com. Uh, or you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Lucretia Deerfor, L-U-C-R-E-T-I-A-D-E-A-R, the number four. Is It Transphobic was produced, edited, and coordinated by Ashley Lauren Rogers. The Is It Transphobic logo was created by Phoenix Sweeney, and you can see more of their work at tinylionroars.github.io. The original music you heard was all created by Vivian Aladrin, who you can find on Bandcamp at vivianaladrin.bandcamp.com. And for this episode, we also used clips from the Star Trek The Next Generation intro, which was composed by Alexander Courage and Jerry Goldsmith.